I want to thank Research FDI for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there, or you meet them at a trade show, or even have a conference call with them so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion worth of projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about Research FDI. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them at 514-488-3168 and see how Research FDI can help you create real prospects. Hello, this is Chad Chancellor with Next Move Group. Before we begin today's podcast, if you've been enjoying our podcast series, Please go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. That'll sure help us out. We'd appreciate it a whole lot. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group We Are Jobs podcast. This is Chad Chancellor, co-founder of Next Move Group. And so this week we're going to give you an update on uh, Hurricane Ida and what else happened down here in Louisiana. Uh, Our staff has evacuated. We'll tell you where we are and what we're kind of hearing on the ground. Boy, I'm going to tell you one thing. If you ever wonder how important infrastructure is as economic developers, you look at what's happening in southeast Louisiana right now due to Hurricane Ida. And we're going to get into a little bit of our college football preview. So this was supposed to be our college football preview show. But I don't mind telling you after Hurricane Ida hit and having to evacuate, I just have not had time to put that thing together like we did two years ago. So last year COVID hit, so we couldn't put it together. So maybe next year we'll do a good one. But I'm going to go through a little bit of a college football preview for you since we're not going to have our guests like we did last year. Just hope you understand, given Hurricane Ida. For our movement members, it's interesting. Our movement podcast this week for members only was with Rob O'Brien, who used to be the uh, president CEO of the Joplin, Missouri Chamber and was actually there when the Joplin tornado hit. And we spent a lot of our conversation talking about what to do when disaster strike. We recorded this thing last week without having any earthly idea that a hurricane was headed for southeast Louisiana. We actually talked within there about Katrina, not knowing that Ida was on the way. So for our movement members, it's just very interesting that that is the show we released. Rob has been texting me and wondering how we were doing, so I thank you for that. And I cannot tell you the number of texts, Facebook messages, emails that I have received, so thank you really for all of you, for all of the concern that you have shown. So you all have probably seen on television some of the damage. The real shocking thing with Hurricane Ida is this thing brewed up so quickly. I mean, a lot of times you see hurricanes tracking across the Atlantic Ocean and you kind of have time to mentally prepare yourself. But I actually flew home to New Orleans. I was in St. Louis and I flew home to New Orleans late Wednesday night, landed at home at 1030. And I had seen there was a tropical wave of depression that had people's attention, but nobody thought it was coming to New Orleans. At the time, it was pointed to like Houston. Nobody thought it was going to be a big deal. So that was on Wednesday night. So Thursday didn't think a lot of it. 
Friday you woke up and the thing was pointed straight at New Orleans and they started talking about maybe a Category 3, which is winds of like 110 miles per hour. So Friday night, we had a birthday party for my mother. It was her birthday Friday night. So I went up to Mississippi by car to do all of that. And coming out of the city Friday night, it was starting to be bumper-to-bumper traffic. But you could get out coming out of the city. At that time, though, they were projecting, I believe, 110-mile-an-hour winds. And this thing was supposed to go to Morgan City, which is a little further west to where the damage really wouldn't be that bad, probably for New Orleans, if you just look at a map. It looked like it was going to be more of a Morgan City, Baton Rouge storm, but people in New Orleans were still already getting out, including myself. I probably would not have left that early, though, if it hadn't been for my mother's birthday party. So went up to Mississippi, had her birthday party, woke up Saturday morning, started looking at the storm, and it started turning a little east. It started jogging east to where it looked like it was going to be a Grand Isle, Port Fouchon, New Orleans hurricane, not so much Baton Rouge. So I decided at that time, I was already north because I was into Mississippi. So I decided at that time, come back to St. Louis, evacuate, because here I have access, obviously, to Internet, power, no worries from an infrastructure standpoint. I was concerned if I stayed in Mississippi with some of my family, they would lose power and I wouldn't be able to work all week. So I drove basically all night Saturday night to get back to St. Louis where I had just left, got here. And I believe that when I went to bed Saturday night at midnight, if I recall, this is what was so shocking about Hurricane Ida. I think at that time they were saying 110 miles an hour, I believe is what they were saying. Four o'clock, they come out with an update. I set my alarm on my phone where I could wake up and check it. 150. This thing went from 110 to 150 miles an hour, literally in one update from the Hurricane Center. You know, however long it takes them to do the update. That's how much quicker it got. The path at that point in time still seemed to be Grand Isle, Port Fouchon towards Baton Rouge. So you were still thinking New Orleans wasn't going to be that. But you thought New Orleans might have real flooding problems. That was the thing from all the rain. But it looked like the wind was going to go west over towards Baton Rouge. I talked to a few friends that day who then, when they saw that 150 miles an hour winds, they decided to get out. So Saturday, getting out was total gridlock. From what I understand. So I have learned a lesson. If you ever want to get out of the storm, you either go the day before you think everybody goes or wait till the day after. In other words, go right before the storm hits. Because at that time, the roads are clear. But I know people on Saturday that took them 10 and 12 hours to go what normally is a two or three hour trip. And so it was just absolutely miserable. But Sunday morning, I think when people woke up, maybe people called them and said, you better look at the news. It's 150 miles an hour now. I know people who left and were able to get out. Thank goodness. So Sunday rolls along there and the hurricane strengthens a little bit. I believe that one time it got to 155, but basically came in at 150 mile an hour landfall right there at Port Fouchon, which for those of you who really, you know, get into economic development, Google Port Fouchon sometime and look at all the oil and gas there and all the infrastructure that is there. It's just absolutely unbelievable. So the hurricane came into Port Fouchon and started riding into Louisiana, but it slowed itself down. It slowed itself down to where it was only going about 10 miles an hour. So one of the bad parts of this storm is it literally took all day long to get across Louisiana. So wind just kept pounding and kept pounding and kept pounding. The rain was making the ground so wet that the trees would easily topple over. But what really ended up being disastrous, disastrous for the metro New Orleans area. This storm, as it came in, was on a trajectory to go to Baton Rouge. And of course, you don't wish this on Baton Rouge. Don't get me wrong. But just if you're wondering, all of a sudden you're looking at the news and New Orleans is in a total infrastructure. If you wonder what happened, the storm got inland 
And basically, the Hurricane Center missed it from there. The Hurricane Center perfectly, perfectly pinpointed where this storm was going to make landfall. They did. But once the storm got inland, they missed its path by quite a bit. So the storm got inland, and right before it got up to, say, Homa Tipido, it turned east. It turned east and came up basically to Laplace, which is where, for those of you who've been down Interstate 55, it's where 55 and 10 meet to get you either to New Orleans or Baton Rouge, either one, Laplace, Louisiana. So the storm came to Laplace, which then put Jefferson Parish, which is the Metairie area, Kenner, where, where you land, if you go to the airport where you land, it put them totally, totally in harm's way. It put all the river parishes, are what they call all those parishes up and down the river in harm's way and brought Orleans Parish much closer to the eye than what had been thought. So basically that whole Laplace area flooded. If you see in the pictures of flooded homes, most likely that is in the Laplace area or right down on the coast like at Grand Isle. But probably what you're seeing is in Laplace. So for those of you wondering where that is, about 25 miles west of New Orleans, right there on Lake Pontchartrain. Jefferson Parish is the Metairie, Kenner, the whole suburb area there of New Orleans. From what I understand, the damage there is pretty bad as far as structural damage. Lots of homes with roofs off. So both Gabby and Brandon on our team live in Jefferson Parish. From what I understand, their homes have not been damaged. But now we all evacuated. So they have not been there to see it. You know, this is just visibly people looking at it from the outside. New Orleans sent a text to all the residents that said, if you evacuated, don't come back anytime soon. So hopefully their property will be in good shape. We really don't know when we're going to end up going back. I have no earthly idea because right now there's a total infrastructure failure in Orleans Parish. The power lines are down. Entergy lost all their transmission lines. So if you get into economic development, you know, this is what really interests you from an infrastructure standpoint. They lost all their transmission lines. A big tower fell over. Lines ended up literally in the Mississippi River. We're talking the big transmission lines, not the distribution lines. So all of Orleans Parish is without power. T totally all of Orleans Parish is without power. So a text came yesterday that said, please don't come back because when you don't have power now, the sewer system struggles, the water system struggles. So basically there's an entire infrastructure problem that's not going to be fixed until the power comes back in a substantial way. So you got hospitals with COVID patients in there full who are having to run off backup generators. And you only wonder how long they're going to be able to do that. So that is really what this situation is. This storm ended up being more powerful than Katrina. If you look at the winds, the pressure was not as low as Katrina, but the powerful was. It landed on the very same day as Katrina. The very same day, August the 29th. So from an emotional standpoint, it came so fast it crept up on people. It landed on the same day as Katrina. And now it is really hot down there. Like I said, I'm in St. Louis. It is hot down there and you've got people suffering. And so I worry that if it takes a while for the power and all to get turned back on, I worry about how long some of the elderly people, some of the sick people, you know, how long they might end up suffering and really, you know, how the whole society is going to get along when you got no amenities whatsoever. I mean, it would just be natural that there's going to be some breakdowns if you've got no amenities whatsoever. So as far as our company is concerned, we're all relocated. We all have power. So we should be able to be productive and deliver everything that we have promised. It is a distraction. We'll tell you every time that Entergy gives a press conference or the governor talking about power, you know, you want to sit and watch it no matter what sales zooms you have. So hopefully, hopefully 
Once the power gets back on, I think everything will really begin to fall into place. But we are all safe and sound and, you know, wanting to be able to get back home, but we don't know when. I mean, there's no grocery stores open when there's literally no power in the whole parish. There's no grocery store, pharmacy, nothing. So even when the power's turned back on, you got to wait for some of those amenities to come back in order to get there. And so I do feel very sorry for the people who were stranded there. And I will tell you a personal story that happened to me Friday. So Friday, I rented a car to come out of New Orleans for my mother's birthday. I actually rented a car. And as I was standing there to get my car, they ran out. They didn't have enough cars. People weren't bringing them back because there was already rumors of hurricane coming. So people were not bringing their cars back. And luckily, I got there in time. I was number two on the list. So after about an hour and a half, I ended up getting the car that I was wanting. But there must have been 50 people waiting on one had to be 50 people waiting on one. And so as all this has happened, I now think back to some of those faces I saw. Some of those people may not have got a car to get out of town. The airport started shutting down, closed all the flights. So it's so easy. It's so easy for Monday morning quarterbacks to say, why don't these people leave when these storms come? Folks, it's not that simple. Now we have received text messages saying, stay gone. Do not come back to New Orleans until we tell you. Well, some people may not have the money to rent a hotel. I have friends that are staying in hotels because maybe all their families in the New Orleans area. And so they didn't really have family to run to. Some of the people, you know, don't have the money to now stay in a hotel two or three weeks at a time, but maybe they didn't have the means to get out of town. The airport's totally shut down. So it shut down, I guess, Saturday night. I'm recording this on Tuesday. And basically what I'm seeing is it's not foreseen to be open for another couple of days. So it's totally shut down. So the transportation infrastructure also fails. The airport has no power, from what I understand. They have no running water. So, you know, that all's got to be figured out. It's not just as simple as we can, you know, let the planes fly back in. And so the people stuck there now are stuck there maybe through no fault of their own, through no fault of their own. So it's not just as simple as saying, well, why don't those people leave. Sometimes I see that comment in the social media and it kind of aggravates me, particularly when I stood there the other day and saw people who had rented a car and the rental car place didn't have it for them, you know, and I'm sitting here thinking they may still be stuck there, but that is the situation. As of today, I believe there's only been four or five fatalities. So of course that is terrible, but with a storm of that size, you figure that could be worse. I'm not sure that the officials have gotten to Grand Isle yet. And quite frankly, when they get there, there could be some more fatalities. And so uh, it's just been bad. And to show you, you know, how wide ranging these storms are close to where I grew up, which is in Mississippi, about two and a half hours northeast of New Orleans, a sinkhole in a highway developed in George County, Mississippi. And several people died as they drove their vehicle off into this sinkhole yesterday. Several people died from that. A man in Slidell died yesterday from an alligator attack. He was in his shed and got attacked by an alligator. So it just goes to show after the storm is over, what can end up happening, where some of your fatalities are. So people need to be very, very careful. I'm not going to rush back until all the amenities are back open. That's what I'm urging our staff to do, but we're going to figure out how to make it. But again, I just thank you so much for all the calls and the thoughts and concerns. You know, when you live in New Orleans, you have to take into account that these things are going to happen. You do. You have to take that into account. And over the last year, we got lucky a lot. We were in the cone many, many times and they went other places. So, you know, I guess this one was our turn, unfortunately, but keep them in your prayers and thoughts. Keep us in your prayers and thoughts. Even though I'm not there, I will tell you that you think about it. It is emotionally draining not being at your home, not having an option to go there. You know, I stay gone all the time, but that's my own choice. That's different than when you literally don't have the option to go there. So please keep everybody 
in South Louisiana in your thoughts and prayers. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back right after this. I want to thank LocationOne.com. Some of you know it as Lois for sponsoring today's podcast. In my opinion, Lois is the best buildings and sites database on the market. One of the reasons I think that is it gives you nationwide exposure. So I used to be the economic developer in Paducah, Kentucky, and I made a terrible mistake. I only put my buildings and sites on the Kentucky Economic Development Buildings and Sites database. Well, Paducah bordered Illinois and was within 30 or so miles of Missouri, Indiana, and Tennessee. So what sense did it make for me to not put my bills and sites on a nationwide database? Well, Lois does that for you. Looking back, I should have put my bills and sites on Lois. It's also easy to use for an economic developer. It's just like using Facebook. It walks you through how to insert your pictures and your information and so forth. And the thing I like most It works well on my iPad. If I'm in an industrial building, I want to be able to look at that thing on my iPad. Lois does that for me. Other buildings and sites, databases struggle with that. So if you got 10 or 15 minutes to spare, go over to location1.com, book yourself a demo, and see if this can help your community have more success. So when it comes to college football, we'll get into a little bit of good news when it comes to that. Well, first of all, I will say that reports are the Saints are not going to be at home for the first month of the season. So the reports are the Saints are going to play the first game against Green Bay, which was supposed to be in the Superdome in New Orleans and Dallas. So on the professional side, it looks like they're going to be relocated. I know LSU starts the season at UCLA, which is a big game Saturday, so that shouldn't affect them. Tulane, I believe, is going to Oklahoma now instead of hosting Oklahoma. That's a shame. They were going to host Oklahoma at Tulane in New Orleans, so they're having to go on the road. But as far as the storm is concerned, I'm not sure it's going to affect any other college teams, but it's for sure going to affect the Saints. So the college season is really going to get off to a bang this week with Georgia and Clemson. Georgia and Clemson is going to be the game Saturday night, the game of the week that you're going to have to find yourself watching. I believe they're playing that game in Charlotte, so that's on a neutral field. There are a lot of good games Saturday, but Clemson and Georgia is by far the number one game. Mississippi State starts with Louisiana Tech. So we have had a fun summer celebrating the College World Series, and so now it's time to get ourselves into football. We start with Louisiana Tech. Typically, typically, Mike Leach ends up almost turning around his second year and really turns it around his third year. So I'm really not sure what to expect out of our team. We're returning eight on offense and eight on defense. So that's very good. We're returning eight on offense and eight on defense. But last year, our offensive line really couldn't block. So the key is going to be, can we block or not? So we start with Louisiana Tech Saturday at three o'clock. My nephew's going to Louisiana Tech. So I would be embarrassed to death if we lose that game. That ball game's in Starkville. Then we play NC State who can beat us. Then we play at Memphis. So our first three games, Louisiana Tech, NC State at Memphis. So for our non-conference games, those are not easy. Those are not easy. It's not like we're playing the three worst teams in all of football. So, you know, I would probably be pleased if we come through there and start two and one. We'll probably be pleased with that. Then Listen how we start our conference schedule. LSU at home at Texas A&M, Alabama at home. <laughs> That's how we start our conference schedule. So we come through there and win a game. We'll be very, very happy. We do get a reprieve in the middle of the season. We play Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Arkansas, Auburn, Tennessee State, and Ole Miss all in a row. And we can win a bunch of those football games. So if we can start out just anywhere decent, maybe we can build some momentum the last six games and people feel like Mike Leach is turning around getting in the right direction. 
Ole Miss and Mississippi State again are playing the Egg Bowl on Thanksgiving night. And I do not like that whatsoever. I just really don't. But they continue doing it. It must get ratings or something. I don't like it. The Saints are playing also on Thanksgiving night. So here again, both my teams are playing on Thanksgiving night. I guess that's a first world problem. In the week the hurricane came, I won't complain about that much. But I don't like it one bit. I'd rather our games be at more traditional times. I always like to look at returning starters to tell me what teams might be better than you would think. And so as I'm looking at returning starters, these are some things that you might want to consider. Iowa State is returning 20 starters, 11 on offense and 9 on defense. So that's something to remember. Remember, Iowa State is always good. Their coach is always hotly pursued. They are returning 20 starters. Minnesota is also returning 20 starters. They're returning 10 on offense and 10 on defense. Remember, Two years ago, Minnesota had a tremendous team. So look for Iowa State and Minnesota to be better than you might imagine. UCLA's also returning 20. Now, they play LSU Saturday night. UCLA, this is where Chip Kelly is. They are returning 20 starters, 10 on offense, 10 on defense. LSU, of course, has the big brand behind LSU. They're favored Saturday night. They are favored. But LSU wasn't very good last year, particularly on defense. And you would think that maybe Chip Kelly might finally have himself an offense. So with 20 returning starters, don't be surprised Saturday night if UCLA does not upset LSU. When you turn that one on, don't be a bit surprised. If they upset them, remember, I'm telling you, UCLA's bringing back 20. 10 on offense and 10 on defense. LSU's bringing back 18. Nine on offense and nine on defense. But remember, that was a historically bad defense that LSU had. Historically bad. So the fact they're bringing back nine on defense might not necessarily be a great thing. Miami and Alabama play Saturday night. Now, Miami's bringing back 19. Ten on offense and nine on defense. So could Miami give Alabama a game? Probably not. But they are returning 19 players. Alabama's only returning 11. Alabama's only returning 11. So if you watch Miami and Alabama Saturday night and Miami gives them a game for a half, don't be that surprised. Miami's returning a whole lot of starters. Alabama's only returning 11. They're only returning three on offense. Now, last year was a COVID year, so I'm not sure how exactly to judge it, but I think that was the best Alabama team I've seen. I know people talk about the two teams and all the great Alabama teams. That last year, they were dominant. I mean, nobody even come close to beating them, but they're only returning three on offense. They're getting a lot of their defensive back, but they're only returning three on offense. Notre Dame's only returning nine. Florida State and Notre Dame play Sunday night. Could Florida State finally start turning this thing around and beat Notre Dame? I don't know. That is a question to consider, but Notre Dame is only bringing back three on offense and six on defense. Florida State, of course, has not been good in a while. And Bobby Bowden, a tremendous, tremendous man, a man I once got to meet. I got to meet Bobby Bowden one time in Orlando, Florida. He just passed. And so I think we need to honor him. As far as I'm concerned, he's one of the great coaches of all time. He built Florida State. Florida State was nothing before he got there. Remember, Alabama was always something. Alabama was always something before Saban ever got there. Florida State was not. Bobby Bowden built that program. And what a tremendous, tremendous guy he was. It's time for Florida State to come back. If you look at their schedule, they play Notre Dame the first week. They're a heavy underdog, but Notre Dame is only bringing back nine, so maybe they can beat them. Then Florida State should win some games. They play Jacksonville State, Wake Forest, Louisville, Syracuse, and then North Carolina. 
Florida State has a good shot this year to turn themselves around. They end, they end with Clemson, NC State, Miami, Boston College, and Florida. So Florida State schedule is backloaded other than the opening night Notre Dame game. But looking at this schedule, there is no reason Florida State can't make a bowl. If Florida State doesn't make a bowl this year, they might want to look at another coaching change. They have no excuse whatsoever. They should beat Jacksonville State, that's one. They should beat Wake Forest, two. They should beat Louisville, three. They should beat Syracuse, four. They'll lose to North Carolina. They should beat UMass, is five. They'll lose to Clemson. They should beat NC State at home, is six. They play Miami at home. That ought to be an even match. They go to Boston College, that's seven. And that's without counting beating Miami. There is no reason in the world. Florida State can't make a bowl this year. If they don't, if they don't, then I think it's time for them to start thinking about another coach up there. Now, you know, the season already started. Illinois and Nebraska played last week. I didn't get to watch it as much as I wanted to on account of the hurricane. I was, you know, figuring out my travel plans. Illinois whipped Nebraska. Scott Frost's tenure in Nebraska is probably about to come to an end. Everybody won't seem to be successful. He's a Nebraska ex-ball player. But boy, boy, they just don't look like they're getting any better. Based on the score I saw, Illinois whipped them. And Illinois got a first-year coach, Brett Bielema, that guy that used to be at Wisconsin and Arkansas. He went in there the first week and whipped them. So that does not look good for Nebraska. That does not look good for Nebraska. Nebraska's kind of one of those teams like Florida State. I wish they would get better just because I think it's better for college football. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back right after this. This week's executive search spotlight that we are doing is on the Summit County, Ohio search for an economic development department director. So Summit County's up in northeast Ohio and is home to the greater Akron area as well as many, many other tremendous communities, about 45 minutes from Cleveland. Summit County has 150 foreign-owned companies within Summit County, 40,000 businesses altogether. So tremendous, tremendous community. They have the lowest county sales tax in Ohio. They have the lowest property tax among Ohio counties and really a tremendous quality of life. They have all kind of polymers and advanced materials. So they got companies there that you've heard of for sure, like Goodyear, Bridgestone, Eaton, Continental, Parker. They've got lots of advanced manufacturing there, PPG. They've got all kind of logistics and distribution now and tremendous, tremendous health care. So this is a tremendous opportunity for somebody. 41,000 people in manufacturing, 43,000 people in health care, 13,000 people in finance and insurance. They also are home to Cuyahoga Valley National Park. If you've been to this part of Ohio, you know how beautiful it is. You will find uh, places with rolling hills and streams, and you know you almost think you're up in the mountains. Of course, within this closer proximity of Cleveland, you've got all kind of flight opportunities. You've got access to various different sports events, the Cleveland Browns and so forth. As far as higher education, you've got all kind of options there. So uh, this is going to be a good job for somebody. Salary is going to pay 125 to 130 If you want to apply, apply at summit at thenextmovegroup.com before September the 10th. Summit at thenextmovegroup.com. Now, all the Ole Miss fans are excited about Lane Kiffin. They really think they have something with him. They're returning 18, 8 on offense. Their offense last year was totally explosive, and they're returning 10 on defense. But here, again, they've got the same thing as LSU. Their defense was terrible. It was absolutely pitifully atrocious. 
So what good is it to return 10 if your defense was atrocious? They think they're going to be good. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they can beat people that they just don't flat out outscore. But if we go look at their schedule, they play Louisville Labor Day night. Ole Miss and Louisville Labor Day night. Louisville's got a coach. They're improved. They might give them a game. But then they play Austin P and Tulane. So you figure Ole Miss starts uh, 3-0. and They then go to Alabama. No way they beat them. They play Arkansas. Arkansas's much improved. Then they go to Tennessee. It's time for Tennessee to get themselves improved. It's no excuse in Tennessee being as bad as they have been at football. But Ole Miss ends with LSU, Auburn, Liberty, which is interesting. That's Hugh Freeze. Hugh Freeze will be coming back to the Grove. Texas A&M, Vanderbilt, and then Mississippi State. So if I'm looking at their schedule, I think Ole Miss will win one, two, three, four, five. Ole Miss will either go five and seven or six and six. They're going to have to probably beat us on Thanksgiving night to make a bowl. So as excited as they are, when I look at their schedule, I wouldn't be nearly as enthused as Ole Miss fans are. Now, Dennis Jarvis, who's one of our movement members, I have to get his team in here. Appalachian State is returning 17. You know, they're always a good team. They're returning 17th. You better watch out for them. They might be that team that gets in the big bowl this year. Returning 17th. Seven on offense, 10 on defense. So watch out for Appalachian State. Returning 10 on defense. If you go through conference by conference, conference by conference, which is what I like to do and look at returning starters. In the Southeastern Conference, Arkansas is returning 20. And that guy did a heck of a job last year. As far as I was concerned, he was the coach of the year, the job he did. They are returning 10 on offense and 10 on defense. So they're returning by far the most in the conference. Interestingly, the two teams in the SEC who are returning the least are the two that played for the championship last year, Alabama and Florida. Alabama's returning 11, Florida's returning 9. Kentucky's only returning 12. Could this be a year that Kentucky steps back? But Arkansas's got 20, LSU's got 18, and Ole Miss has 18. So those are the ones that you really have to watch. In the ACC, Clemson's only returning 14 this year. And, of course, Trevor Lawrence left. So could Clemson take a step back? Well, we'll find out when they play Georgia Saturday night. Clemson's returning 14, five on offense and nine on defense. Georgia's returning 13. So neither one really have an advantage there. That's going to be a tremendous football game. But when you look at the ACC, Wake Forest returns 20, but they weren't that good. Miami's the team that can slip up on you, y'all. They're returning 19, 10 on offense and nine on defense. North Carolina. Made the Orange Bowl last year. They're returning 18, 8 on offense and 10 on defense. So watch out for North Carolina. Over in the Big 12, we got a lot of Big 12 listeners because of our relationship with Evergy Power. Iowa State's returning 20. So they're going to be good. They're good every year. Iowa State's returning 20. TCU's returning 18. So they might be improved. You know, TCU used to be a defensive team. Then all of a sudden they got great on offense, couldn't stop anybody. Both Oklahoma and Texas are down towards the bottom. They're both only returning 15. So this could be a year that they get clipped off within the Big 12. In the Big 10, Ohio State's only returning 11. Only returning 11. Michigan's returning 16. If Michigan can't beat Ohio State this year, when are they ever going to beat them? I mean, it's probably time for Jim Harbaugh to beat Ohio State. I'll go along his merry way. One of my favorite games to watch every year is Iowa and Iowa State. Iowa's only returning 14. Remember, Iowa State was returning 20. So whenever that game comes along, you might want to circle Iowa State. Most of the big teams, though, in the Big Ten, 
aren't returning many. I mean, if you really look at this thing, maybe Wisconsin's returning 17. Most of the big teams in the Big Ten aren't returning that many. Notre Dame's only returning nine. We covered them earlier because they're playing Florida State. BYU's returning 11. They had a good team last year, so they might be decent. Over in the Pac-12, you've got a lot of teams returning a lot. UCLA's returning 20. Arizona State's returning 20. Utah's returning 19. Washington's returning 18. Really, the only three teams returning the least in the Pac-12 are USC, Oregon, and Stanford. That's your three powerhouses usually. So the Pac-12 could have a little changeover. USC, Oregon, and Stanford are turning over. So when you look at this week's games, it all will get started on Thursday night. The big game Thursday night is Boise State and Central Florida, two of the teams that historically make the big bowl. So that'll be Thursday night at 6 o'clock. Boise State in Central Florida. The Friday night game of interest is North Carolina at Virginia Tech. That's going to be Friday night at 5 o'clock on ESPN. North Carolina at Virginia Tech. We'll give you a heck of a game to watch Friday. And then Saturday, of course, you'll have games absolutely all day long. Penn State and Wisconsin play at 11 o'clock Saturday. That'll be very, very interesting. Alabama and Miami play at 2.30. Mississippi State, Louisiana Tech play at 3. Clemson and Georgia is your big game at night. They play at 6.30 along with LSU at UCLA. LSU at UCLA plays at 7.30. Then you got Sunday and Monday games because of the holiday weekend. Sunday night's going to be Notre Dame at Florida State. Monday night's going to be Louisville and Ole Miss. So that will be your first weekend of football, which is always a tremendously, tremendously exciting time. New Orleans does not host a semifinal or the championship game this year. We do not host that, so we won't be having any event for that. Of course, you might not have an event anyway between the COVID and now the hurricane, so we won't be hosting that this year. So if you make me make a prediction, if you make me make a prediction, I would this year probably pick Clemson in the finals because I think in the ACC they have no competition whatsoever. So I would pick Clemson in the finals. And I think maybe this year let's go with Oklahoma. I don't see anybody in the Big 12 that can compete with Oklahoma. I think Alabama might take a step back. You know, they never take a step back. But their team last year was so good. That's the best Alabama team I ever seen. I'm not sure they can repeat themselves. You know, it would be so easy to sit here and say, I'm going to take Alabama and Ohio State because that's what happened last year. But I'll go a little bit off the radar. Clemson's flying under the radar because they lost a lot of starters. Even if they lose to Georgia this week, nobody in ACC can beat them, so they'll be right there in the semifinals. They basically only got to win one game, and I just don't see anybody in the Big 12 that can beat Oklahoma. So that's kind of what I think. The national championship this year is in Indianapolis, so it'll be in Indianapolis this year. The semifinals this year are the Orange Bowl and the Cotton Bowl. As for Mississippi State, I think this year we'll probably go like five and seven historically Leach becomes good his third year. So what we want to do this year is win a game or two, not embarrass ourselves, and then we'll turn our attention to next year. So I am sorry our college football preview had to be abbreviated, but I hope you'll understand with the Hurricane Ida situation, we did the best we could do. And I do thank all of you for reaching out to all of us this week with your concern. This is going to be an ongoing event until the power in New Orleans gets back on. Because without the power, we got no other infrastructure. So we will keep you updated on our news shows or however we do it. And thank you so much for your concern. And let's all get ready to watch some football. Hail State.